0: Hello, and welcome to Suite 212, putting the arts in their social, cultural, political and historical contexts here on London's best and brightest radio station, Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm your host, Juliet Jakes, and today we're going to be discussing the arts scene in Greece over the last 10 years or so, and how it's been affected by post-crash austerity and the Oki referendum on the EU bailout, the country's position as an entry point into Europe for Middle Eastern migrants, the election of Syriza and the rise of the far right. Joining me to discuss this are Irini F. Staffew and Ileana Fokianaki. Irini F. Staffew is an artist who studied in Greece and the US and lives and works in Athens. Working in a variety of media, from printmaking and painting to small scale installations and performance, her studio practice engages in an archaeology of the present and recent past through the critical reworking of archival source material as well as deliberate wanderings in the urban landscape. She has had solo exhibitions at the Irene Laub Gallery in Brussels, as well as EMPST and the Eleni Koroneo Gallery in Athens and elsewhere. She has previously taught visual and critical studies at various institutions in the past. Ileana Fokianaki is a curator, theorist and educator based in Athens and Rotterdam. Her research focuses on formations of power and how they manifest under the influence of geopolitics, national identity and cultural and anthropological histories. In 2013, she founded State of Concept Athens, the first such non-profit institution in Greece, which she still directs, having worked with artists such as Forensic Architecture, Kada Atia, Sanya Dor Provost, and Hito Style. She has curated exhibitions for EFLUX New York, the Museum of Contemporary Art Ljubljana, Galleria Nova Zagreb and elsewhere. Her most recent project, the Bureau of Care, received the European Cultural Foundation Solidarity Grant, she has lectured in academies, museums and foundations worldwide. She publishes in journals such as *Eflux* and Freeze and elsewhere. Her book Gossips will be published later this year. Irini, Ileana, welcome to Sweet 212.
1: Hello. Hi.
0: Uh, thanks for joining me today. Before we go into the discussion, I'd like to give a little of the political background in Greece over the last decade or so for listeners who may not be familiar with it. In October 2009, The opposition centre-left party, PASOK, won a snap election called as the effects of the financial crash began to be felt in the country, less than a year after major public sector strikes. Two months later, Greece's credit rating was downgraded and the new Prime Minister, George Papandreou, announced several rounds of tough austerity measures leading to mass protests and strikes. Fearing possible default on the country's debts, which were well over 100% of GDP, with 70% of Greek government bonds held by foreign investors, the Eurozone countries approved a 110 billion uh, euro rescue package in return for an even more stringent program of cuts. Trade unions called for a general strike, which took place for 24 hours in June 2011, amidst huge protests against austerity. In November 2011, Papandreou resigned after announcing and then withdrawing a referendum on another EU package which offered a 50% debt write-off in return for even more austerity. Former banker Lucas Papademos became interim prime minister of a coalition between PASOK and the right-wing New Democracy party and approved a deal with the EU in February 2012. Both parties performed very badly at the parliamentary elections that May and New Democracy formed a minority government in June. There was another general strike in September When the police fired tear gas at an anarchist rally outside parliament. Youth unemployment stood at 26.8% in January 2013, the highest level in the EU. By April it was up to 60%. In September 2013, the anti-fascist rapper Pavlos Fissas was murdered in Piraeus, just outside Athens, by a member of the far-right organisation Golden Dawn, which was rapidly growing as a political party. Its leader and five other MPs were arrested on charges including assault, money laundering, and belonging to a criminal organisation. There were some signs of economic recovery in 2014, but Parliament's failure to elect a new Prime Minister in December led to elections in January 2015, won by the recently formed Syriza, who stood on a left-wing, anti-austerity platform, but soon formed a coalition with the Nationalist Independent Greeks Party. In February 2015, Syriza negotiated a four month extension to an EU bailout in return for dropping key anti austerity measures and undertaking a Eurozone approved reform programme. That summer, the European Central Bank ended emergency funding, Greece closed its banks and imposed capital controls. In a high profile referendum, voters rejected the EU bailout terms, but the government agreed a third deal worth 86 billion euros to avoid bankruptcy and exit from the Eurozone. This led to a split, with 25 MPs joining a new party called Popular Unity and the resignation of the high-profile finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis, but Syriza and its Prime Minister, Alexis Tsipras, were re-elected in September 2015. At the same time, Greece effectively became a buffer zone for migrants fleeing the civil wars in Syria, Iraq and Libya that followed the Arab Spring and Western interventions, who were hoping to enter the Eurozone. The EU eventually cut a deal with Turkey to act as a border guard in return for financial aid and diplomatic concessions. In July 2019, New Democracy defeated Syriza in the legislative elections and clamped down on dissent, especially in Exarchia, often the centre of radical activity in Athens. There were revelations about Greece secretly expelling more than a thousand asylum seekers, abandoning them on inflatable life rafts in the Aegean Sea, and operating a secret detention centre on the land border with Turkey where it carried out summary deportations without giving people the right to asylum. The government introduced strict lockdown measures to deal with COVID-19 in March 2020, and again towards the end of the year, which also included a clampdown on public assembly designed to fend off protests. In October 2020, the Golden Dawn trial concluded that seven of its former MPs had left a criminal organisation, the party had already all but collapsed, And the accused now face further charges and Greece is back in lockdown like much of the rest of Europe with similarly strict impositions as to those that were imposed a year ago. So that's the background for today's discussion. So I'd like to bring you both back into the conversation now and really sort of ask how artists responded to this sense of crisis post-2008.
1: Well, I think it's important to include also as a, a, an important event that happened before the uh, political events that you describe, which was the, the murder of uh, a teenager, Alexandros Grigoropoulos in Exarchia, by, a, by a, a police officer. Um, and that sparked at least three weeks of social unrest. So I think that's an important sort of prehistory to this history. And also I wanted to say that I'm not sure, I mean, as an artist, I'm not sure that artists response is exactly how I would say it. I mean, in my my own practice is founded on not being a historian and not being a politician and um, not being an anthropologist, and thus, not being obligated to respond in this way to these events in the same way that those 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 um, professions would. So I'm more interested in what people do in light of in light of a, a pretty tempestuous decade that you describe. And I think there's a tendency in the art world to say, okay like you wanna do an anti-fascist gesture, right? So I, I think there's the tendency to say, okay, I made an artwork, an anti-fascist artwork and now I'm done. Or I went to an anti-fascist talk and now I'm done. Or even I went to a demonstration and now I'm done. Or I voted and now I'm done. So I wanna propose rather the idea of, of, for example, anti-fascism as a practice, You know, something that is a lifelong practice which is also how I see being an artist. So I think I think artists did a lot of stuff in that period, um, some of which was direct and literal, and some of which was a little bit more roundabout.
0: Ileana, I don't know if you want to respond to that.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do understand uh, Irini's position. I'm not sure. I think that, of course, the key question here is do they have to, and yeah, why do they have to respond? But uh, I will agree uh, with uh, the position of being anti fascist or whatever that is, not necessarily anti fascist, but. Let's say being a concerned and active citizen that is that abides with democratic rule um, and, pro- and propagates for it uh, is, is not an action, it's rather a way of being and a way of understanding the world and many times friends uh, uh, also from outside of Greece that are in the cultural sector Choose to make this distinction that it's not necessary that my practice directly uh, reflects on on such questions. Uh, it's also my life. I can I can be an activist or an artivist, uh, as some. Call it, but um, it's not necessarily that I have to do it through uh, my artistic practice or the, you know, the the end of a process which which is uh, an artwork. So I do agree with that. However, I think that the uh, the art world uh, in Greece, as it happens with um, uh, similar peripheries uh, in the Balkans where we are geographically situated, is one that because of lack. Of infrastructure and lack of a of kind of a like greater system of support for artistic practice, and I will uh, I will focus on the visual arts, but that includes also um, you know film or uh, or other contemporary forms uh, of art. It tends to be uh, dependent on private uh, the private sector a lot, and that sometimes hinders the possibility to be directly uh, political, if you will, which for me, again, it's a little bit of a paradox and and a little bit of an oxymoron because I think that everything is political. You know, it's uh, some things uh, for me, politics really have to do with ethics as well. Where do you position yourself as a human being what are you know your personal ethics, ethical standards or rules or, or ways of understanding the world? So it can't not be political. And for instance, being choosing to not be political is also a political position, if you ask me. Uh, but I do think that there, I mean, it's already 12 years back, 2008 and the murder of Rigoropoulos really broke some uh, of the notions that we had in reference to culture and there were a lot of responses whether these responses were direct through uh, an artistic practice or whether these were indirect via you know just participating uh, in demonstrations and what else uh, have you that is kind of like more in the public realm uh, which is both okay. However, uh, in terms of the artistic language, I would say that I felt there was a bit of a lack of a more concrete discursive positioning from the artistic practice of of artworks, or let's say a lot of artworks uh, that would be responding to this, which for instance, I have seen in other uh, places. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I was lacking this direct Uh, let's say, artistic language in relationship to the politics that were occurring at the time.
0: Yeah, and I mean, would you, how much would you put that down to some of the funding models in the Greek art world? I I know that a lot of, um, there's like a lack of Public funding for the arts or there certainly was at the time and yeah there was complete
2: complete lack and there was no infrastructure I mean if you if you think of it and compare it to the UK where for instance I've lived for several years there is no such thing as an arts council uh, in Greece the ministry of culture itself as it happens to many countries um, of the, the, the southern Europe like Italy for instance that have uh, a lot of antiquities. The majority of the of the public funding goes for that. I would say the 80, 85 percent. Therefore, there isn't, you know, there isn't enough budget uh, to spare for contemporary art. But that's not just the excuse. It's also the fact that in Greece you have a civil servant system that is... Uh, you know in uh, you go into you become a civil servant and you're there for life you know you it's not a part a position that has a contract of of x years uh, you get your pension from there which means that a lot of people that have zero uh, knowledge of contemporary arts are positioned in offices that are for instance for contemporary culture or what have you just because they're civil servants and you don't have people that enjoy visual arts, uh, know visual arts, research visual arts, and therefore also would have uh, or would propose strategies or the creation of an infrastructural system. And I think that was uh, visible also with the arrival of Documenta, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, so having that, uh, a, a zero... Uh, infrastructure and a zero grant system uh, from the state, that means that you're dependent solely uh, in private uh, institutions, uh, foundations or uh, capital of any form. And uh, the art market in Greece is tiny, if there is any. I mean, Irini is much more equipped to to discuss that. But to to my understanding, there was not, I mean, it, it was not possible for a visual artist to actually make their living by selling artworks in Greece. Um, I would say from 2008 until now, uh, it has not been possible. You always have to have a side job or a different type of of income. Therefore, that makes you uh, a little bit more reluctant to be, let's say, uh, opposing to the grand narratives uh, of neoliberalism because you're extremely dependent on it.
1: I mean, I I would sort of disagree with that. In that taking taking some examples from that period, uh, we're talking now around 2010 2011. So, you know, following up that lack of infrastructure for art, it's almost it's not an understatement to say that the Ministry of Culture remembers that contemporary art exists every two years when they have to send somebody to the Venice Biennale. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's a little overstating the case, but that that seems to be. I wouldn't say so. I would yeah. completely agree. <laughs> um, so, in that sense, the commercial galleries prior to in the first decade of the millennium served a you know a sort of multiple roles as kind of like as commercial galleries, as kunstales, as and there was a bit more money floating around in the economy for that to be sustainable. So that was abruptly disrupted by austerity and the financial downturn. That said, there was in that period, there was a lot of, you know, what was happening in that period? People were questioning institutions, and how institutions should work, and what kind of institutions uh, we wanted. And lots of artists had been largely ignored by the actual the institutions that existed, you know, which included contemporary uh, commercial galleries. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I think uh, uh, something that was at least for me personally, uh, really important in that period was the emergence of kind of grassroots venues for uh, art, such as the occupied Uh, Ebros theater, which was uh, a group of artists and cultural people, uh, occupied uh, theater in central Athens and hosted a program that, you know, had a huge variety of experimental events. And it was from people across the uh, cultural sphere. So live arts, visual arts, uh, theory, yeah, um, and from activists and non-activists. I mean, it was it was uh, it was uh, besides being fun, it was also um, you know something really different in that period. So it was it was people deciding to institute otherwise as a as an experiment. So there was a lot of experimental social energy in that period, and it yeah. was a response to being ignored by these institutions. Mm-hmm.
2: Just, just to make a small note that these examples, of course, and were extremely important and Green Park afterwards that followed a few years later. However, they arrived from a very specific political content that was and has been always there in, in, in Athens. And I think this is one of the few things that's, that has saved our sanity, uh, that there is a very large um, civil society, there is a very large part of, of uh, an anarchist and, let's say, non-parliamentary left that is organizing and is organized. But uh, I was kind of more more discussing the mainstream and that, that there was a lack there. But Irene's example of a bros I think, is an excellent one, which is, is an example in the arts that also occurred in all these other... Sectors. We had a lot of self made clinics for people that were unemployed from 2010 until 2015, where people could get free medicine, free medical advice, they would get checked. Um, there was a lot of that.
1: Yeah, just, sorry, just a small comment. It also influenced, I think, the artist run space, a sort of new batch of artist run spaces also uh, emerged in that period. So, like, I'm thinking of the first one is 3137. in 2012, and so I think they couldn't help but be influenced by the ethos of this uh, experimental instituting.
0: Yeah, and obviously, um, Ileana, this was the context that you started State of Concept in Athens in, Um, so maybe it's nice to hear about that for a couple of minutes.
2: Yeah, um, just to link it also with the examples that Irini gave, there were a lot of para-institutions, I would call them para-institutions, and not in a diminutory way or anything, but institutions that were not into the taxation system. There were institutions that were, um, that's why I'm calling them para-institutions, and also MBROS was a squat uh, it was a place where, for instance, there was no electricity, electricity was taken, and uh, and uh, water and all these things, which is a, an incredible thing that keeps happening in the center of Athens, um, as I pre-mentioned. Uh, I wanted to not take this route, uh, specifically uh, because I, uh, I, I was... I mean, since I came back to, to Greece in 2005, late 2005, that's what I realized, that there are so many of these wonderful initiatives, but they don't have longevity. And the reason that they don't have longevity is because they're based on volunteer structures uh, that many times collapse, because of course, uh, you, know, you have a life, uh, you have a work, you, 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 you have specific amounts of time to dedicate and this can, can become exhausting. Um, and my aim was to actually um, do it the legal way, let's put it this way, and really create an institution that has a tax number uh, that can apply for funding abroad, uh, obviously, because there was no funding here. Um, but also um, because I saw a lack in terms of an institutional language that approaches these types uh, of questions. Uh, uh, as we said before, there were so many big private foundations, well, so many, there were a couple that have been doing fantastic work uh, all these years of educating Greek pub- the Greek public in terms of contemporary visual arts. We had Damon Hurst, uh, Artworks, uh, Sarah Lucas, uh, Louis Bourgeois, just to, to give a few kind of, uh, you know, big star names. And then we had all of these initiatives that were para institutions, pop-up institutions, um, uh, small kind of scale uh, initiatives uh, that also arrived from people that were coming back to Greece after finishing their studies abroad. So they, the, you, you saw like extremely fresh um, um, examples of, of, of visual culture, but there was a lack in the middle. And again, uh, I will agree with Irini uh, that the commercial galleries were really playing a huge part of educating publics as well, not just as commercial galleries, but in fact, as institutions. But there was a gap, in my opinion, of this uh, non-for-profit institution uh, or a Kunstverein or a or whatever we, would, you, would you want to call it, that is not a squat um, format, it's not a, a para-institution, but it's actually a proper uh, place with uh, water, heating and a fixed program and opening hours that is weekly and throughout the year. So uh, that's when we opened up. Like it was end of 2012, beginning of 2013. Uh, and um, also the name uh, really reflected what was happening. We were in a state of conceptualizing. Uh, our our identity also as a country having been three years of having this you know threat of grexit uh, over our shoulder um being called you know not fiscal not fiscally european enough you know, you know uh, wanting to cheat and, and get money from 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 the coffers of the of the eu so I, I think it was a very important moment those years in terms of the of how the average Greek understood themselves, uh, because for us, it was always a question of how much to belong. do we belong to the West? There was not whether we do actually belong to the West. And Greece is a country that really has one foot on the West and one foot on the East. And I think this idea of um, being, let's say, the little scapegoats or the, the unwanted child in a family, uh, a European family, kind of changed a little bit the way we understood ourselves. Um, and this is, was one of, kind of, let's say, the inspirations uh, for, for the institution to, to open.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And you know, you talk about the relationship with the European Union there, so that leads us uh, nicely into. Talking about the election of Syriza and the um, summer 2015 referendum on the EU deal, um, I think our listeners will probably know some of the background there. I don't want to go into all of the ins and outs of uh, Syriza's internal politics and politics with the European Union, but of course, you know, um, as I said earlier, the vote went against accepting the deal, um, and then the government negotiated something quite similar anyway. Um, I really want to talk, I mean, first, I just want to ask you both if there was any noticeable difference with Syriza's arts and culture policies, given um, their kind of background uh, on, on, the, on the left politically, uh, whether there was any noticeable difference with what came before, or were their policies influenced by uh, a lack of money? Were they just in firefighting mode?
2: Um, I'm, I'm gonna be brief there was no change uh, and really it was this this kind of emergency situation where there was no uh, time or desire uh, or strategy in relationship to to culture uh, they only were looking at the tourist section and I think it's interesting to to note that uh, in Greece the Ministry of Culture is also the ministry uh, of uh, was back then the ministry of of tourism as well um, and I think it had to do, of course, with the fact that we, we had a huge uh, debt. So there, you know, culture was not deemed uh, as important enough to go into the yearly budgets. Uh, and the only, um, let's say, strategies, measures, or policies that we saw was at the far end of the Syriza administration, which was 2018, 2019, just before the elections uh and uh it was that they f- began very timidly a first kind of grand scheme for small-scale institutions and uh, research and artists i would say that they did invest in education and research uh, post uh, academic research as well that was one thing that they did although uh, it was uh, you know f- um, f- throughout their whole um uh their whole tenure, if we call it, in, in government. But no, in terms of contemporary culture, I would say it was only in the, in the far end, where there was you know, the, the leeway uh, financially to be able to do that. And of course, Irini, I think, uh, also can say more in terms of the artists.
1: I mean, I'm going to agree and say that I couldn't think of anything, really, that seemed to be dramatically different uh, with the city's administration, in terms of uh, continuity of infrastructure. Um, so the problem, the problem is a, 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 a sort of continuity of infrastructure for art. So the, the, their heart was in the right place with things like um, having the, an open call for the director of the National Museum of Contemporary Art, uh, when previously it had been a direct assignment, uh, or the grant scheme, but the, I think those remain a complicated process and uh, don't really reflect the grants. I'm, I'm speaking about the grants and don't really reflect the actual, um, actual situation of production for most artists and and there's not very many of them and they're not very well publicized so so it it you know i mean it's 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 always good when there's some money instead of no money uh but i think it could certainly be improved upon yeah um i think the like the like december 2008 with the murder of Grigoropulos and uh, events during that you mentioned during the the first years of austerity, the the referendum was a a pretty big event and very um, divisive. Extremely. And so, and when we're speaking about private institutions that have been, you know, active throughout these years, it's important to remember that they they do take public you know, unlike artists who I argue um, should make work about the things that they're interested in, uh, whether it's on trend or not, because, and I wanted to follow up with that, because uh, sometimes making, you know, overtly political work is off-trend. So <laughs> I would say that in the, in the period preceding uh, 2008, 2010, it was a little off-trend to make overtly political work. So, um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, but regarding the regarding the referendum, it it was divisive in a way for you know society at large, that uh, in a way that had been cultivated, you know this divisiveness of the twentieth century, had been cultivated throughout the years of austerity, uh, by mainstream media as a way to, um, you know. I guess prevent Syriza from getting elected. Um, yeah, and I so, think it's so important. So there was a kind of a I think there was a kind of a, a numbness after the referendum, where a lot of people felt deeply betrayed, even having not supported uh, you know, having thought that Syriza was too centrist to begin with. But I mean, I think there was a general sense of of uh, betrayal and relief for some people. Um, so there was, and there was a confusion in the cultural sector regarding, regarding that uh, feeling.
2: Yeah. You Well, know, I just wanted to, 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 to note also the, that. uh, of course, this this referendum um, had a let's say some false questions to it, which I think uh, Brits that are listening to us would probably relate to. Of how you know mainstream media kind of created a dilemma that didn't really exist, because the actual question was, do you agree with more austerity or not? But the uh, the mainstream media that, uh, of course, is was was against. Uh, uh, Central leftist government was, uh, do you want to be kicked out of the EU or not? So again, this for me this is quite important. This that this idea of identity of the Greek as a European or versus a Greek as the pariah that kind of uh, you know does not really belong uh, to the West uh, was brought to to the fore, and this has been a question um, that. I think follows us from the civil war in, in 49 which again for our british uh, audience that doesn't know it was very much um created by the brits <laughs> i would say um so it's something that has been following us and it's like the right-wing party versus the left-wing party the right-wing party wanting to be part of uh of, of let's say the the grand Uh, uh, the the, the greatest powers, Britain, France, etc. And, you know, this kind of anti-left sentiment has been following us since then. So um, this kind of reflected also, and just to make a small note to what Irina said, yes, it was not on trend because, of course, also a lot of the supposed left uh, wing artists or cultural producers were feeding from, the, you know, from the state tit, if we put it this way, for, for decades on, and therefore it became a little bit ridiculous or a little bit to kind of folklore, if, if you will, to be political, but let's not forget also that the 90s was a period in Europe in general, but there were a lot of money going around, so uh, there was not necessarily uh, a lot of things to be political about, supposedly, I, I would disagree, but Uh, It was also kind of a period of the times, but
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, You're listening to Suite 212 here on Resonance 104.4 FM. Um, I'm your host, Juliette Jakes, and today we're talking about visual art in Greece uh, in the last decade or so. Um, So we've been talking a fair bit there about Greece's relationship with the European Union and the sense of it. Um, as a kind of being treated as a periphery to the main states, and particularly Germany. Uh, And obviously this has a very um, interesting um, manifestation in the art world, with the decision to host uh, Documenta 14 across two venues um, in 2017, one of course being its usual venue of Castle in Germany, and the other being Athens. Um, So I'd like to invite you both, uh, for the next uh, 10 minutes or so, um, to talk about, uh, well, maybe your reaction to document and um, its reception in Athens more widely.
2: Um, I'll start, and I'll try to be brief and give more more, more space to Irini on that because um, I think, uh, you know, the effect from the position of a small-scale institution to that of, of an artist is, is different. Um, but, I mean, I have uh, written extensively on, on that and my position, um, was formed more from this exact this dichotomy that existed of this global uh, North versus this global South, which was part of the narrative of the curatorial narrative as well of. Uh, of um, the particular edition of Documenta. For me, two are the things. First, we're talking about a German institution that is proposing itself as an international institution. Uh, However, a guardian of contemporary visual uh, civilization or culture, uh, and of course the, 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 the institution that sets the tone of what contemporary visual arts is. Um, that has been created in 1955 for a very specific reason, and that was uh, kind of an anti-Nazi sentiment of of grouping, uh, let's say, uh, Europe and transcending borders, but um, it has, in my humble opinion, failed to escape um, uh, this kind of patronizing um, uh, profile that it has. And okay, fine. That is in fifty-five or or seventy-five or ninety-five or even two thousand and five. But in two thousand and fifteen, when the announcement made, where you have a Europe that is very much divided, uh, you know, into pigs. Let's not forget the pigs, uh, and and the rest of of the EU. It was very much. It felt to me like a marketing trick, almost of you know, let's discuss about this difficult relationship that the European North has with the European South. However, uh, the narrative kind of became for the global South and all the global South and let's learn from the global South Uh, which for me was a bit unfair for the global South itself, which is extremely varied and extremely complicated and extremely different. Uh, And I remember uh, at the opening of the event in Athens, there was a a comparison, uh, I think it was of Guatemala City with Athens. And I was thinking, if I was a citizen of Guatemala City, I would probably tell these people that they're not, they don't really know what they're talking about um, because Athens, is enjoying, although it is a peripheral uh, state of of the EU, is enjoying some of the benefits of the EU, just to mention one, the passport (laughs) and the currency, right? Um, And some health benefit, you know, health infrastructures, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, that was one of my my issues. And then the second one was that you arrive um, as, let's say, uh, the elite of, of the contemporary visual art world and the art market as well in a periphery where uh, there is no discourse really being produced or if it is it's a very minimal one uh, and it doesn't follow as much this complicated discourse of art of jargon that is being produced and through s- such institutions and then it is very difficult to be able to communicate with local audiences that are not art trained in order to be able to understand what exactly it is that you're talking about. And I think uh, talking about it with colleagues throughout these last uh, six years, uh, not six, five years since the event happened, it, it was an interesting event and it was an interesting choice that really brought to the fore new questions in relationship with, what it is to arrive to a place without being invited just decide that you will go to that place to host uh, an event to kind of parachute yourself uh, as an art tourist and we are all guilty of that of course Uh, and what is it that you exactly want from that because for me being honest about it from the start Uh, kind of makes things easier for for everyone, because, of course, Documenta was very much accused that it didn't interact enough with with the public and the local institutions, they shouldn't have they didn't have that obligation, if you ask me uh, to respond to it, frankly. Um, But then the title of it learning from Athens kind of clashed with this non-desire for interaction. And what what exactly was this Athens about? Was it the, uh, you know, white Western uh, canon fetish of ancient Athens or was it contemporary Athens as part of the global South or a European South that is financially depleted? What exactly what they're learning and from which Athens, you know?
1: So I think, I think, um, I think, the the general public, if we can call it that um, yes. <laughs> uh, gave uh, gave um, gave Documenta 14 a pretty warm welcome in the form of uh, grassroots uh, commentary and critique on the exhibition uh, in the form of posters and stencils. I mean, a lot of posters and stencils so um, which i I to my knowledge still exist on the uh, on the on the internet um, you know one of my favorite series was the the ethyanis or the indigenous so they they specifically identified as indigenous i mean I think as a kind of a a a commentary a playful commentary on all the things that uh, Eliana just mentioned and um so, so, I don't think it was about knowing the, um, knowing the language of international art jargon. I mean, I think people could understand what was going on with the show and- um, I'm talking
2: more for the general public theory, not, uh, not the art world necessarily.
1: Yeah, I mean, but uh, I mean, not all of those, not all of that um, critique originated from the art world. You know, and okay, there's there's connections between the art world and um, you know activist culture in Greece, but some of them grew came uh, out of from activist groups, you know, or or anarchist groups, and so that was that was the one part of uh, Documenta 14 in Athens, and I think I mean I think the local art scene was initially quite excited. Mm. About um, the arrival of Documenta. And, um, you know, they have this, uh, the art world has this way of having a kind of Marxist redistributory rhetoric um, without actually being interested in redistributing any of their um, access, power, or funds. So that quickly became apparent uh, yet again. So I think there was an initial enthusiasm, let's say, of of not necessarily, so I'm going to disagree with uh, Ileana there. I mean, I think institutions that purport to be about this, or, you know, exhibitions, because this was the 14th iteration, and was, I mean, they present themselves as, in some ways, autonomous from Documenta, the institution, Uh, so So I think that they, in fact, did have an obligation to do that, given the fact that they they had this rhetoric of dialogue and of thinking about indigeneity. um, And among other things. Right. Well, but that was a big part of the um, that was a big part of the show. Right.
2: Yeah, it was very interesting. You know why? Because there are so many, uh, there are a lot of minorities in Greece uh, that have not been recognized from the Greek state, Vlachs, Sarakatsans, you know, that have their own languages, etc. uh, That could be considered indigenous uh, in, in the more anthropological kind of strict terms. And for instance, the research that was done uh, did not include them, uh, w- which was it, it was very funny. It was like these kind of imported ideas without really reflecting on these ideas on the, on the geolocality that you're at. And I'm sorry, Irene, that I'm interrupting you again. But the indigeneity uh, example, I think, is yeah, it's super
1: interesting. Well, I mean, I think the I think that group just thought it was funny. <laughs> um <laughs> And, you know, was hoping for, was hoping for uh, mirrors and beads, uh, but then maybe have settled for no smallpox blankets.
0: Um, well, I'm um, I'm afraid we're going to have to move on from uh, from Documenta now because we've only got 15 minutes left. And uh, I want to bring the conversation on to uh, the last couple of years, really, which have also been um, politically and creatively quite um, febrile. Um, in Greece. So I want to sort of come on to, to the last two years, really. Um, the last time I was in Athens um, was where uh, I was introduced both to uh, your work, Irini, and to State of Concept. Um, I visited to cover uh, a quite high profile exhibition at the Athens Conservatoire, curated by Katerina Gregos, called Anatomy of Political Melancholy. And this was a collection of Greek and international artists, um, lots of whom were dealing with um, the effects of the crash of 2008 and its aftermath, uh, and this sense of sort of the hollowing out of democracy, disillusion with and disengagement from uh, politics. Um, I found it a really fascinating exhibition. I spent quite a bit of time with it, um, but Irini, I wondered if you would like to maybe like reflect on that exhibition and maybe how, representative it was of, of that moment in um, in Athens and in Greece
1: well I think framing it in the way that you do of this ambivalence between uh, disillusionment and um, a desire for uh, continued political engagement is 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 indeed uh, reflective of that time um, and what I wanted to say from the previous uh, our previous segment is that uh, one of the good things about Documenta was a kind of extraversion of the Greek art world, mm-hmm. a forced extraversion. And I so I think Katerina Gregos has a talent for bringing together um, artists from various different countries and contexts in in. Um, overtly political shows, but which allow for the complexity of of the individual works. So I think that that's that's a, a curatorial talent that she has. But I it was also important to sustain this idea of uh, extroversion. I mean, I think all scenes suffer from, and especially when things are politically uh, exciting, or um, situations are change quickly and often that it's, it's easy to get caught up in the, the, the politics of your own small uh, place. So, so I think that uh, a, a, a broader view isn't always easy to achieve but is really important and, and so um, exhibitions like that or connections with international uh, art people, institutions are are really important.
0: And um, Ileana, I'd like to lead on from there to some work you did at State of Concept with uh, forensic architecture. Um, You know, one of one of the sort of more high profile um, events for people following the cultural scene in Greece was the killing of the drag artist, activist and writer Zach or Zaki Kostopoulos in uh, a jewellery shop in Athens in September 2018. Um, you know, he got trapped in the shop uh, and it was found that two men had kicked him every time he tried to get out of a broken window. Um, Kostopoulos was portrayed in the Greek media as a thief and a drug addict and the, um, the shop proprietor was rumoured, I think, to be a, a far-right sympathiser, but certainly the authorities failed to seal the crime scene and the police had violently apprehended Kostopoulos. And um, indeed, Zaki's supporters said that he ran into the shop after being attacked outside. Um, And so Kostopoulos's family hired um, the forensic architecture group to conduct their own inquiry. Um, And I know you you work with them at State of Concept. So can you maybe spend a couple of minutes telling us a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to link it also with the Pavlos Fisis, because that was another investigation that forensic architecture did. Um, and for me, uh, I think there uh, we, we were in a conversation for some time before the exhibition happened, um, because, of course, uh, forensic architecture have been quite... Uh, busy in showing a lot of their investigations specifically these two in greece because they have greek members as well as part of the team um, uh, and For me, the bigger question was, it was part of a a specific chapter, exhibition chapter, that we were doing at the time called Department of Justice that was really related to um, uh, the the forms of violence, let's say, that have been occurring in Greece. Uh, Grigoropoulos was one very big event, Physis was another very big event, and and Kostopoulos was another very big event. Um, And I would say kind of events that marked states, uh, or para state violence and forensic architecture themselves they call themselves a research group that is is performing cartographies of violence they're making it visual so the choice for the exhibition was not to show these two specific investigations because they have been shown extensively uh, in greece for one reason but also because we wanted to show the links between different uh, geolocations and different kind of let's say um, uh, conditions uh, uh, in relationship to violence. So the show was entitled slow and fast violence. It was based on a specific book that I was uh, working on and uh, simultaneously I found out forensic architecture also was working on which was uh, Rob Nixon's slow violence and the environmentalism of the poor. So We were trying to make with this exhibition kind of these Uh, binaries of slow and fast violence Um, and I would say we focused more on the public program to be referencing specific cases of state violence in Greece. Uh, We had three uh, maybe the most uh, let's say attended public events that we had uh, at the history of State of Concept so far. Uh, One was about uh, the Zak Kostopoulos story so there was a kind of analysis from the team of what occurred and I think it brought, uh, it was a very timely exhibition because it was also the change of, of, of government as well that changed the policies in relationship to the refugee crisis. So we uh, at the downstairs part of the um, exhibitions of the institution, we had uh, films that are from uh, forensic oceanography, which is uh, you know, a specific group within forensic architecture looking into the violences that occur at sea. And then we had cases that were related to, um, the Gaza Strip, uh, in specific, and some other communities—not necessar- not only Palestinians, but also Bedouins—that have been experienced a lot of violence uh, from uh, from the states uh, there. Uh, and for me, this was important to really link what is currently occurring in Greece and what was I saw as a shifting uh, in relationship to how normalized violence, state violence, was um, was a. Um, portrayed in the media in Greece and how also the narrative in relationship to the refugee crisis began. Because in 2015, we had, you know, this uh, Greek island of Lesbos uh, being discussed as Nobel Prize nominees. And then in 2019, also with Golden Dawn playing a big part of it, uh, extreme xenophobia and racism occurring. And uh, just to link it with today, it's something that we see augmenting uh, a lot, and we felt as an institution it was our obligation to really open up discussions exactly on that. Uh, and I'm glad we did, and we should be doing even more actually now because uh, just two days ago we had extreme violence happening in in the center of Athens.
0: Yeah, we've got um five minutes left, and so i'm I'm glad we've uh, we've brought ourselves up to the present. So you know, as I mentioned earlier, the um, election of right- wing government new democracy party in October, 2019 uh, brought a sort of general shift to the right, uh, but also the end of the Golden Dawn trial uh, and the collapse of that um, as a political party and to some extent as an organisation. You know, there was a clampdown on Exarchia, the more radical district in uh, in Athens, Um, but obviously. New democracy hadn't been in power yet for even six months when COVID-19 came to Greece and there was a a really very strict lockdown um, with with quite early curfews um, and heavy fines for anyone who who went against the regulations. Um, So maybe we could just sort of close the show the last few minutes by talking about the the impact of COVID-19 in on the art scene um, in in Greece and in Athens,
2: Nourine, do you want to go or sh-
1: shall I? Um, w- well, I think I mean I think it's a uh, you know throughout this this decade, there have been moments where we have said, "Wow!" Um, just as you know, people citizens wow i i can't believe this is happening you know look at the erosion of our democracy but I, I i have the sense that we're at a kind of zenith of this erosion of um you know what we think of as parliamentary democracy and uh, a lot of that has happened in the name of um in the name of the pandemic you know uh, covid 19 regulation uh but I mean, I think it's summed up by the fact that the you know the government hasn't hired even like half a doctor, and they've hired many many cops. Yeah, just just to follow up
2: on that as well, I think the the fact that even the Economist, a quite neoliberal uh, uh, journal, as uh, the last two years has been. Uh, putting Greece in the list of flawed democracies, I think, says a lot in itself, Uh, as many other countries also Greece as well has been following this tactic of, you know, um, uh, minimizing, let's say, liberties in the name of COVIDs, without actually having a policy that makes sense uh, and i think just just to to mention here um what nikos puladzas which was an in- incredible sociologist french greek sociologist uh was talking about in the late 70s early 80s about uh, authoritarian statism we're living it right now, and I've, I've written a lot about it. I call it narcissistic authoritarian statism because we have these leaders that are portraying themselves as center right, very much. Uh, you know, taking care of their citizens, etc. And this has been a vehicle that has been extremely used of late, uh, not just in Greece, but I would say in many examples uh, in Europe. But the problem with Greece is that uh, the violence at at this very moment Uh, is reaching extremity levels. Uh, I would say what we've seen in France and Paris, for instance, of the the police violence, we we see it almost on a daily basis in Greece. And again, to link it to past events, you know the the fact that uh, a police officer murdered in cold blood a fifteen year old boy in the center of Athens, or uh, you know that uh, para state Golden Dawn members that were best friends with the police could stab um, an artist in the middle of of of, uh, of a city. It, it kind of led us to this to this normalization of state violence, and I am afraid, sadly, that COVID has been used. Um, as a vehicle of excuse of excusing this type of violence for the sake of the others it's it's and it's extremely troubling, I, I, I think.
1: So and in that context, I mean, uh, with most public thing, you know, most public activities uh, shot, it's it's difficult to um, respond as an artist or as an arts community or as an art world mm-hmm. even. Uh, However, you know, there have been moves which uh, Ileana can speak about briefly and quickly to to be more organized in across the art world for um, just uh, support during the pandemic, which has led to, you know, more organizing, which I think is positive.
2: Yeah, we have been. We have been organizing and we've also have been trying to kind of reach the ministry uh, because, again, the art world here is quite small. Therefore, um, we we don't pose a health threat if we are open and we we have, you know, appointments of like three or four visitors per hour. That is one thing. But just to say that the, the uh, suppression has come to a level where they have been passing legislation that is basically censoring um, uh, lyrics, censoring specific things. And there has been a lot of marches and uh, calls for demonstrations from the cultural sector, which I think is extremely important. And just a small asterisk that, of course, we're having a huge wave of Me Too at the moment that has been starting from the theater world. It has bleeding in into universities, the art uh, school of Athens being one of the examples. And then again, you see a lot of unionization, I will call it. It's an informal way of kind of trying to kind of gather the powers and gather the bodies and bring the bodies out in the streets. Even though it's quite difficult to do it in 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 such lockdown situations.
0: Yeah. Well, um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Um, I'm sure Greece is going to continue to be a very um, complicated uh, arena for the arts, to say the uh, least, <laughs> over the next decade. But um, maybe that's something we can uh, we can come back to another time. Um, For now, we'll have to leave it there. So Irini, Ileana, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for Um,
0: the invitation. Listeners, I've been your host, Juliette Jakes. Uh, As ever, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on Twitter. Uh, We'll be back next month in the same time and the same place. So thanks a lot for listening. Take care. Goodbye.